0: Section 24 of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2 The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Denham. Chapter 7 The Conflict of Creeds and Parties in Germany by A. F. Pollard part two the first care of the princes and burghers who deliberated at schmalkalden from december twenty two to thirty one fifteen thirty was to arrange for common action with regard to the litigation before the reichskammergericht but the decision which gave their meeting its real importance was their agreement to form a league for mutual defence against all attacks on account of their faith from whatever quarter these might proceed this the first sketch of the schmalkaldic league was subscribed by the elector of saxony the landgrave of hesse the brunswick lüneberg dukes prince wolfgang of anhalt the two counts of mansfeld and the cities of magdeburg And Bremen. Margrave George of Brandenburg and the city of Nuremberg were not yet prepared to take the decisive step, and although the tetrapolitan cities, reinforced by Ulm, Biberach, Isny, and Reutlingen, expressed their concurrence in the league at a second meeting in February 1531, and three dukes of Brunswick, Philip, Otto, and Francis, and the city of Lübeck also acceded to it, its full and final development depended upon the result of the contest then raging between Lutherans and Zwinglians for control of the South German cities. Busser, after his partial success with Luther at Coburg, proceeded to Zurich, in the hope of bringing Zwingli to the point of concession where Luther had come to meet him. But, as the German reformer grew more conciliatory, the Swiss became more uncompromising. In February 1531, the Swiss cities refused to join the Schmalkaldic League, and in the same month a congress of Zwinglian divines at Memmingen attacked the Catholic ceremonial observed in Lutheran churches. This aggressive attitude may be traced to the rapid progress which Zwinglian doctrines were making in South Germany at the expense of the Augsburg Confession. At Augsburg itself, the Tetrapolitan or Busserian creed defeated its Lutheran rival, and in other German cities more violent manifestations of the Zwinglian spirit prevailed. Under the influence of Busser, Blare, and Ecolampadius, Ulm, Reutlingen, Biberach, and other hitherto Lutheran cities destroyed pictures, images, and organs in their churches, and selected pastors who looked for inspiration to Zurich and not to Wittenberg. Those cities which had already joined the Schmalkaldig League refused at its meeting at Frankfurt in June to subscribe to the League's project for military defence. South Germany seemed, in fact, to be about to fall like ripe fruit into Zwingli's lap, when his power suddenly waned at home, and the defeat of Capel, October 11, 1531, cut short his life, and ruined his cause in Germany. It was left for Calvin to gather up the fragments of Zwingli's German party, and to establish an ultra-Protestant opposition to the Lutheran Church. This unexpected disaster to the Reformation in Switzerland appeared to Ferdinand to offer a magnificent opportunity for crushing the movement in Germany. He was thoroughly convinced that Swiss political and religious radicalism was the most formidable of the enemies of German Catholicism and the Habsburg monarchy, and that, deprived of this stimulant, the milder Lutheran disease would soon yield to vigorous treatment." he proposed to his brother an armed support of the five Catholic cantons and the forcible restoration of Catholicism in Zurich and Bern. But the Emperor declined to involve himself in a Swiss campaign. His intervention in Switzerland would, he feared, precipitate war with Francis I, who was already beginning to cast longing eyes on Milan and feeling his way to an understanding with Clement VII. The Pope's fear of a general council, which Catholics no less than Protestants were demanding from Charles V, was a powerful weapon in the hands of Francis I. Clement was haunted by the suspicion that a council might be as fatal to him as that of Basel had threatened to be to his predecessors, and the Emperor's enemies suggested that if it met, Charles would propose the restoration of the papal states to the empire from which they had been wrung. Rather than risk such a fate, some, at least of his friends, urged Clement to accede to the Lutheran demand for communion in both kinds and clerical marriage, and maintained that the Augsburg Confession was not repugnant to the Catholic faith. Without the help of the heretics, it seemed impossible for Charles to resist the approaching Turkish onslaught, and the emperor's confessor, Loesa, urged him not to trouble if their souls went to hell, so long as they served him on earth. And so, the term of grace accorded to the Lutherans by the recess of Augsburg expired in April, 1531, without a thought of resort to compulsion. And instead of this, the emperor suspended on july eighth the action of the reichskammergericht he had missed the golden opportunity it did not recur for fifteen years during which two wars with the turk in europe two wars in africa and two wars with france distracted his attention from german affairs this inaction on charles part cooled the martial ardour of the schmalkaldic league and zwinglian aggression in south germany increased their disinclination to help the swiss in their domestic troubles in reality the battle of kappel was of greater advantage to luther than to the emperor for a second time the reformation was freed from the embarrassment of a mutinous left wing and luther although he professed to lament zwingli's fate regarded the battle as the judgment of God, and Zwingli as damned unless the Almighty made an irregular exception in his favour. The cities of upper Germany, deprived of their mainstay at Zurich, gravitated in the direction of Wittenberg, while the defeat of one section of the reformers convinced the rest of the need for common defence. Under the pressure of these circumstances, the Schmalkaldic League completed its organization, and of necessity assumed a predominantly Lutheran and territorial character. At two conferences, held at Nordhausen and Frankfurt, November-December, 1531, the military details of the League were settled, and the respective contributions of its various members fixed the princes obtained a large majority of votes in its Council of War, and exclusive command of its armies. Saxony and Hesse were treated as equal. If the seat of war was in Saxony or Westphalia, the supreme command was to fall to the elector, if in Hesse or Upper Germany, to the Landgrave. The accession of Göttingen, Goslar, and Eimbeck to the League— and the success of the reformation at hamburg at rostock and in denmark where christians returned to catholicism brought no nearer his restoration to the throne left the schmalkaldic league in almost undisputed possession of north germany and it became a veritable imperium in imperio with a foreign policy of its own it might now be reckoned one of the anti-habsburg powers in europe Its agents sought alliance with France, England, Denmark, and Venice, and it began to regard itself as a league not merely for self-defense within the empire, but for the furtherance of the Protestant cause all over Europe. Nor were its aims exclusively religious. Theology merged into politics, and Protestantism sometimes labored under the suspicion of being merely anti-imperialism. France and Venice had few points in common with Luther, and Philip of Hesse's plan to utilize a Turkish invasion for the restoration of Ulrich of Württemberg outraged patriotic sentiment. On the Catholic side, Bavarian objects were no less selfish, and the Wittelsbachs endeavored to undermine Ferdinand's supports against the Turk in Germany, Bohemia, and Hungary in both professedly religious camps there was political double-dealing. Hesse was ready to side with either Austria or Bavaria, while the Wittelsbachs fomented Charles' hostility to the Lutherans and denounced his concessions as treason to the faith, and at the same time that they were hand in glove with Hesse for an attack on the Habsburg power. These extreme and unpatriotic schemes were defeated by a tacit understanding between Catholic and Protestant moderates, and Germany presented a fairly united front to its infidel foe. Saxony and cities like Ulm and Nuremberg convinced Charles that the coming of the Turk would be used for no sectional purposes, and the Emperor, in return, promised the Lutherans at least a temporary peace. He turned a deaf ear to the demands at the Diet of Ratisbon, April 1532, for the execution of the Augsburg recess, while Luther denounced the claims of his forward friends to toleration for all future Protestants, even in Catholic territories, as impossible and unreasonable. At Nuremberg, July 23, 1532, an agreement was reached by which all suits against the Protestants before the Reichskammergericht were quashed, and they were guaranteed peace until the next diet or a general council. The understanding was to be kept secret for fear of offending the Catholics, but it sufficed to open to Charles the armories of the Protestant cities, and Nuremberg, sent double its quota to serve in the Turkish campaign. Ferdinand had in vain sought to stave off the attack by which Soliman hoped to revenge his defeat at Vienna. He offered first to pay tribute for Hungary, and then to cede it to Zapolya, on condition that it returned to the Habsburgs on Zapolya's death. These terms were rejected with scorn, and on April 26, the Sultan commenced his march. His army was reckoned at a quarter of a million men, the stereotyped estimate of Turkish invading forces, but half of these were non-competents. The Emperor's troops did not exceed eighty thousand, but they were well equipped and eager for the fray. The same enthusiasm was not conspicuous in the Turkish ranks. They were foiled by the heroic resistance of Günz, August 7 to 28, and made no serious attempt either to take Vienna or to come to close quarters with the imperial forces. In September they commenced their retreat through Corinthia and Croatia, which they ravaged on their way. The precipitate withdrawal of the Turks was followed by an equally sudden abandonment of the campaign by charles v after all his brave words it was a shock to his friends and admirers when he made no effort to seize the fruits of victory and recover Hungary for his brother for a vigorous prosecution of the war in 1532 might have restored to Christendom lands which remained under Turkish rule for nearly two centuries longer. There are explanations enough for his course. The German levies refused to pass the imperial frontiers, regarding self-defence as the limit of their duty. The Spaniards and Italians confined their efforts mainly to pillaging German villages and cranmer who accompanied charles court describes how they spread greater desolation than the turks themselves and how the peasants in revenge fell upon and slew the emperor's troops whenever opportunity offered so that delay in disbanding his army might have fanned the enmity between charles's german and spanish subjects into war but other reasons accounted for the Emperor's departure from Germany, which was once more sacrificed to the exigencies of Charles' cosmopolitan interests. The Pope, irritated alike by the Emperor's bestowal of Modena and Reggio on the Duke of Ferrara, and by his persistence in demanding a general council, was proposing to marry his niece, Catherine de' Medici, to Henry, Duke of Orleans, and a union between Clement and Francis I would again have threatened Charles's position in Italy. He regarded two objects as then of transcendent importance—the reconciliation of the Pope and the convocation of a general council. They were quite incompatible, yet to them Charles sacrificed the chance of regaining Hungary. The result— can only be described as a comprehensive failure. The Emperor's interviews with Clement in February 1533 did not prevent the Pope's alliance with France, nor his sanction of Cranmer's appointment to the See of Canterbury, which enabled Henry VIII to complete his divorce from Catherine of Aragon. Charles' two years' stay in Germany had effected little ferdinand indeed was king of the romans but his influence was less than before while the power of the protestants had been greatly increased the emperor had crossed the alps in the spring of fifteen thirty with a record of almost unbroken success he recrossed them in the autumn of fifteen thirty two having added a list of failures the german labour had proved herculean but Charles had proved no Hercules. For another decade, Germany was left to fight out its own political and religious quarrels, with little help or hindrance from its sovereign. His intervention in 1530 to 1532 had brought peace to no one. The Protestants had little security against the attacks of the Reichskammergericht, The Catholics were unable to prevent the progress of heresy, and while Charles was journeying farther and farther away from Germany, the Habsburg authority in the empire was threatened with one of the most serious checks it experienced. The restoration of Duke Ulrich of Württemberg was not merely a favorite design of the Protestants for the extension of the Reformation in South Germany. It was regarded by German Catholic princes and by the Emperor's foreign foes as an invaluable means of undermining the Habsburg power. It is even believed that Clement VII himself, in his anger at Charles' persistent demand for a general council, discussed the execution of this plan at his interview with Francis I at Marseilles in the autumn of 1533. At any rate, the French king went from Marseille to Bar-de-Luc, where, in January 1534, he agreed with Philip of Hesse to give the enterprise extensive financial support, cloaked under a fictitious sale of Montbéliard, the property of Ulrich, to the French king. The moment was opportune. Ferdinand was busy in Bohemia and Hungary. The outbreak of the Anabaptist Revolution gave Philip of Hesse an excuse for arming, and the decrepitude of the Swabian League neutralized the force by which Württemberg had been won and maintained for the Austrian house. Religious divisions had impaired the harmony of the League, and political jealousies had transformed it from a willing tool of the Habsburgs into an almost hostile power. In November 1532, the electors of Trier and the Palatinate and Philip of Hesse had agreed to refuse a renewal of the League, and in May 1533, some of its most important city members, Ulm, Nuremberg, and Augsburg, formed a separate alliance for the defence of freedom of conscience. The strictly defensive Catholic Confederation established at Halle in ducal Saxony in the following November, between the elector Joachim of Brandenburg, Dukes George of Saxony, Eric and Henry of Brunswick, was neither a match for the Schmalkaldic League, nor had it any interest in the perpetuation of Austrian rule in Württemberg. Joachim told Philip that Ferdinand would get no help from the electors, and his words proved true indeed. The archbishops of Mainz and Trier observed a strict neutrality. The Elector Palatine's promise of aid was delusive, while the Catholic Bishop of Münster and Duke Henry of Brunswick, possibly on the understanding that Philip would assist them to put down the Münster Anabaptists, consented to help him in Württemberg. And assurances of support were also coming from Henry the Christian the of Denmark, and Zapolya in fifteen thirty two ulrich's son christopher alarmed at the prospect of being carried off to spain escaped from the emperor's court during the turkish campaign and in the following year appeared at a meeting of the swabian league at augsburg his cause was warmly advocated by a french envoy and almost unanimously approved by the league bavaria indeed wished to restore Christopher, who had been educated as a Catholic, instead of his father, a strenuous Protestant, and on this score quarrelled with Philip of Hesse. But French aid enabled Philip to dispense with Bavarian assistance. In April 1534 he mustered a well-equipped army of twenty thousand foot and four thousand horse, and on the twelfth, a manifesto was issued to the people of Wurttemberg, who, disgusted with Ferdinand's rule, were eager to rise on Ulrich's behalf. It was in vain that Luther and Melanchthon prophesied woe for this contempt of their doctrine of passive obedience. Philip knew the feebleness of the foe. Ferdinand's appeals to Charles had been met with a cold response and his lieutenant in württemberg count philip of the palatinate could hardly raise nine thousand foot and four hundred horse with this little army he waited at Laufen, where on may twelve to thirteen an encounter which can scarcely be called a battle was decided against him mainly by the excellence of the hessian horse and artillery Before the end of June, the whole of Württemberg had been overrun by the invaders, and Luther had discerned the hand of God in the victor's triumph. Nor was there any hope of retrieving the disaster. Rather, Ferdinand dreaded lest Philip should, with the help of the Anabaptists, raise a general insurrection against the Habsburgs, and seize the imperial crown for himself— the Dauphin of France, or Duke William of Bavaria. Francis I regarded Württemberg as only a beginning, and was urging Philip on to fresh conquests, which would have helped him in his impending war with Charles. But the German princes were content with securing their immediate objects without becoming the cat's paw of France, and peace was made with Ferdinand at cadan on June 29. Ulrich was restored to Württemberg, but Ferdinand's pride was to some extent saved by the provision that the duchy was to be held as a fief of Austria, without, however, impairing its imperial status, and should pass to the Habsburgs in default of male heirs in Ulrich's line. At the same time, Ferdinand withdrew his original stipulation, that the Reformation should not be established in Württemberg. The Protestants, however, were bent upon more than a local victory for their faith, and they employed their advantage over Ferdinand to render more secure their general position in Germany. The great defect in the Nuremberg Peace of 1532 was the absence of any definition of the religious cases with which the Reichskammergericht was prohibited from dealing. When the court appealed to Charles on the point, he replied that it was their business to determine what was and what was not a religious suit, and as the court was composed of Catholics, it naturally asserted its jurisdiction in all suits about ecclesiastical property. But secularization of church property— Was the financial basis of the reformed churches, and by this time was also one of the main financial supports of the Lutheran states. If they could be attacked on this ground, the peace of Nuremberg was of little value to them, and they grew more and more exasperated as the Kammergericht proceeded to condemn cities and princes such as Strasbourg and Nuremberg, Duke Ernest of Luneburg and margrave george of brandenburg eventually on january thirtieth fifteen thirty four the protestants formally repudiated the kammergericht as a partisan body thus rejecting the last existing national institution for the reich's regiment was already dissolved this however afforded them no protection and in the peace of cadan they insisted that Ferdinand should quash all such proceedings of the chamber as were directed against the members of the Schmalkaldic League. With this demand the king was forced to comply. The only compensation he received was the withdrawal of the elector of Saxony's opposition to his recognition as King of the Romans. It was no wonder that men declared that Philip of Hesse had done more for the Reformation by his Württemberg enterprise than Luther could do in a thousand books. Other causes than the weakness of Ferdinand and the disinclination of Lutherans to promote the ends of Francis I moved Catholic and Protestant princes to the Peace of Cadan. Both alike were threatened by their common foe, the spirit of revolution, which in two different forms had now submerged Catholic Münster and Protestant Lübeck. Of the two phenomena, the Anabaptist reign at Münster was the more to be feared and the harder to be explained, for the term by which it is known represents a mere accident of the movement as being its essence. It was not essentially theological, nor is Anabaptist an adequate or accurate expression of its theological peculiarities. The doctrines of second baptism and adult baptism are inoffensive enough, but attempts to realize the millennium, if successful, would be fatal to most forms of government, and a familiar parallel to the Münster revolutionists, may be found in the english fifth monarchy men of the seventeenth century in both cases millenary doctrines were only the outward form in which the revolutionary spirit was made manifest and the spirit of revolution is always at bottom the same because it has its roots in the depths of human nature The motive force which roused the English peasants in 1381 was essentially the same as that which dominated Münster in 1534 and lined the barricades of Paris in 1848. The revolutionist becomes a believer in the brotherhood of man, in the perfectibility of the race, and in the practicability of the millennium. The narrower his experience of men and affairs the wider his flights of fancy, and revolutionary principles commonly find their most fruitful soil among hand-workers of sedentary occupation and straitened circumstances. In those submerged classes materials for discontent ever abound, awaiting the coincidence of two events to set them free—the flash of vision into better things— and the disturbance of the repressive force of law and order. The Reformation produced them both, and the new gospel of divine justice for the oppressed set the volcanic flood in motion, and strife between Catholic and Protestant authorities gave it a vent. It was not to be expected that the rigid, respectable condition into which Lutheranism had sunk under the aegis of territorial princes, or even the more elastic religion of Zwingli, would satisfy all of those who had revolted from Rome. Extreme opinions soon became heard. Sebastian Frank declared that in the new Lutheran church there was less freedom of speech and belief than among the Turks and heathen, and Leo Judd described Luther as another pope who consigned at will some to the devil and rewarded others with heaven. Luther had found his original strength in the spirit of revolutionary enthusiasm and religious exaltation, but as soon as the way was clear he exchanged the support of popular agitation for that of secular authority— and left the revolutionists to follow their own devices. Their ranks were swollen by a general feeling of disappointment at the meagre results of the Reformation. The moral regeneration which had been anticipated, the amelioration of social ills, and the reform of political abuses seemed as far off as ever, The longer we preach the gospel, declared Luther, the deeper the people plunge into greed, pride, and luxury. And acting on a principle enunciated by the reformers themselves, men began to ascribe the evil practice in Lutheran spheres to the errors in Lutheran doctrine. Hence arose a number of theological ideas which were anathema alike to Catholics and Protestants, but appealed with irresistible force to multitudes who found no solace in either of the more orthodox creeds. The mass of the peasantry had been put out of the Pale of Hope in 1525, and their complete indifference to ideas of any kind prevented a general rising ten years later. But in some of the towns the lower classes retained enough mental buoyancy— to seek consolation in dreams for the burdens they bore in real life the anabaptist doctrine was but one of an endless variety of ideas many of which had long been current all such opinions gained fresh vogue in the decade following the peasant's revolt but most of the sectaries agreed in repudiating Luther's views on predestination and the unfree will, and denounced the dependence of the Lutheran Church upon the state. They denied the right of the secular magistrate to interfere in religious matters, and themselves withdrew in varying degrees from concern in the affairs of this world. Some, anticipating the Quakers, refused to bear arms the gärtnerbruder of salzburg endeavoured to live on the pattern of primitive simplicity one sect denied the humanity of christ another of whom ludwig hetzer was the chief began by regarding jesus as a leader and teacher rather than an object of worship and ended by denying his divinity many thoughtful people repelled by the harshness of luther's dogmas insisted upon mercy as the pre-eminent attribute of god and extended even to the devil the hope of salvation while the idea that the flesh alone sinned leaving the spirit undefiled proved attractive to the lower sort and opened the door to a variety of antinomian speculations and practices Most of these dreamers indulged in apocalyptic visions of an immediate purification of the world, but this at worst was only a species of quiet spiritual dram-drinking, and probably it would have gone no further but for the ruthless persecution which their doctrines called down upon them. Zwingli himself was hostile to them, and repressive measures were taken against their Swiss adherents but in most parts of Germany they were condemned to wholesale death. Six hundred executions are said to have taken place at Ensisheim in Upper Elsass, a thousand in Tyrol and Goetz, and the Swabian League butchered whole bands of them without trial or sentence. Many were beheaded in Saxony with the express approbation of Luther, who regarded their heroism in the face of death as proof of diabolic possession. Duke William of Bavaria made a distinction between those who recanted and those who remained obdurate. The latter were burnt, the former were only beheaded. Busser at Strasbourg was less truculent than Luther, but Philip of Hesse, was the only prince of sufficient moderation to be content with the heretic's incarceration. The doctrine of passive resistance broke down under treatment like this, and men's sufferings began to set their hands as well as their minds in motion. A conviction developed that it was their duty to assist in effecting the purification which they believed to be imminent. In Augsburg, Hans Hutt proclaimed the necessity incumbent upon the saints to purify the world with a double-edged sword, and his disciple Augustin Bader prepared a crown, insignia, and jewels for his future kingdom in Israel. Melchior Hoffman told Frederick I of Denmark that he was one of the two sovereigns at whose hands all the firstborn of Egypt— should be slain not till the vials of wrath had been outpoured could the kingdom of heaven come hoffmann who had preached the true gospel in livonia and then had combated luther's magical doctrine of the eucharist at stockholm kiel and strasburg had by his voice and his pen acquired great influence over the artisans of northern germany and here where men's dreams had not been rudely dispelled by the ravages of peasants and reprisals of princes, revolutionary ideas took their deepest root, and revolutionary projects appeared most feasible. From 1529 onwards there were outbreaks in not a few north German towns, at Minden, Herford, Lippstadt, and Sirst, but it was at Münster and Lübeck, that the revolution in two different forms assumed a worldwide importance. Münster had long been a scene of strife between Catholic and Protestant. The Lutheran attack was at first repelled by the Catholics, and Bernard Rotman, the most prominent of the reforming divines, was expelled from the city. But he soon returned and established himself in the suburbs, where his preaching produced such an effect on the populace that the reformers became a majority on the council and secured control of the city churches in fifteen thirty two the chapter and the rest of the catholic clergy with the minority of the council left minster to concert measures of retaliation with count franz von waldeck the newly elected bishop of minster and with the neighbouring gentry who for the most part adhered to the old religion by their action all communication between the city and the external world was cut off but threatened with the loss of their rents and commerce the citizens made a sally on december twenty sixth surprised the bishop and the chiefs of the catholic party in their headquarters at Telgte, east of Münster, and carried off a number of prisoners as hostages. Alarm induced the Catholics to accept a compromise in February by which Lutheranism was to be tolerated in the six parish churches and Catholicism in the cathedral and the centre of the city. Lutheranism, however, while acceptable to the wealthier members of the reforming party no longer satisfied rotman and the artisans rotman gradually adopted the zwinglian view of the eucharist and repudiated infant baptism and although condemned by the university of marburg and the council of munster he was not expelled from the city but continued to propagate his doctrines among the lower orders And eventually, in fifteen thirty three, determined to strengthen his position by introducing into Munster some Anabaptists from Holland. End of section twenty four. Recording by Tom Denham.